0: What's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabers presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always I'm Brendan and I'm Taylor. And Taylor it's one of our favorite episodes that we like to have a few times throughout the season. It is mailbag day today. Very very excited. First and foremost want to give a huge thank you to everybody who ended up asking us questions. I think this is maybe our our most extensive mailbag that we've had to date. We had 21 different people ask us questions, ranging from stuff from this coming Sabre season, the off season, to the future of the team, to some pretty good non sabers questions as well. So we're really excited to dive in. Taylor, any thoughts before we jump into this? Uh, nope. All right, well, let's start off with a friend of the pod who's made an appearance once. I believe it was for one of our trivia episodes. Matt Brockineer asks a few questions. To start off, number one, Bridge or long term deal for power? Two, does Oleson get moved before the season starts or at the deadline? And three, does Dahleen's deal come in under 10 million? And would that set the new internal cap for the team across the board or just for a defenseman?
1: So I guess I'll take it one at a time because I think these yep. are all pretty simple. I think long term for power, I've been on the record for this for a while. If you can get a guy on an eight year deal, especially when they're young, the best case scenario, you don't want to have to worry about him going to free agency when he's like 26 or 27. Like the Leafs are going to have to worry about with Matthews and getting or even, you know, having to give another big contract at that time. Eight years for someone you know is going to be good and solid that whole time, at the very least good and solid, hopefully great. And you get you pay a little extra up front uh, to know that. They're going to get better throughout the contract. You have that level of confidence. So yeah, that that one's easy for me. Long term. And then also if the cap goes up in general, it's long term deals are usually in underpay at some point if the player doesn't fall off, which he shouldn't, because he'll be 30 or 31 by the time the deal ends. And then quickly the other ones, uh, does Olison get moved now or before the deadline? Uh he should get moved before the season, but now, and we'll there are more questions about this, so we'll get to it later. I think he probably gets moved at the deadline, uh, and then or or in the range of the deadline, maybe within the month of it. Uh, then Daleen's so I, I feel like eight for 80 million seems like such a reasonable deal for Daleen. The only thing that throws me off for that is that, um, Kel McCarr signed for less. Kale McCarr, being young and all that, signed for a nine million dollar AAV and he won a Norris trophy I believe he's won the Conn Smythe he's won a Stanley Cup obviously he's probably the best defenseman in the NHL and Darlene's close but like that's so wild to me that he gets nine so really years, me off. Though. that's true yeah it is less years that which I guess kind of makes it even that Darlene will get probably I'm guessing exactly 10 million which would be the, the highest paid player and obviously Matt asked if this will be a new internal cap for the team and for the time being, I just don't see who would beat it. Yeah. Like who would earn more than 10 million that you'd have to be dealing with because Cousins and Tage are Cousins, Tage, Tuck and Skinner are already paid. And it, it, then it would just have to come down to like Jack Quinn, who's going to be missing half a season. And, you know, it's just I, I think for a while, Darlene will be the highest paid player. And I don't even know if you have to worry about the internal cap thing.
0: Yeah, I I agree. So, just to run through those myself, I think long term is a no brainer for power. If you look across the league, These moves are starting to pay off where teams are investing in guys early and giving out these long-term deals. You know, you look at obviously Tage is a good example for one, but looking around the league at some of the star players, there's Jack Hughes, which that deal now is going to be incredible for New Jersey. Tim Stutzel with Ottawa, Robert Thomas. I mean, we've seen it time and time again that if you invest in these guys and give them these long-term deals early, you end up saving yourself a pretty, pretty decent amount of change. I mean, and even just looking at Tage's case, if they were if the Sabres were to have waited this offseason, they're probably Probably adding maybe another two million onto that average annual cap hit there. So long term, I think, is the move, no doubt. I know we'll talk about it a little bit more, like you said, and I will begrudgingly say, not because I think it's what they should do, but I think it's what they will do. I'm gonna say deadline for Olafson. I'm gonna say it's gonna come in at 10, not above not below if it comes in below as we've been saying huge win for the sabers and yeah i'm with you i don't think that there's really anybody who's going to be coming through the ranks that i'm too worried about with that i think one that you can maybe think about as like a possibility is depending on what happens with levi because he's going to be up in two seasons and are you going to want to Or are you going to be able to negotiate with him a long-term deal? Or is it going to be a bridge deal that he'll take you like two years and then you have to revisit again? Because at that point, if you're signing him to a two-year deal after a bridge contract, if he projects, if he plays how he's projecting out right now, maybe that's something that you can conceivably consider. If he's like really stealing the show and is like, this just all works, maybe then it would get close to that. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that, I would hope at least that they go long-term right off the bat and maybe it just saves them some dollars then down the line. But yeah, I don't see anybody going above, above 10. I'll be honest. I think even among the forwards, I would be pretty surprised if people even if there's anybody that even goes above eight and that's including, I mean, with Krebs Quinn and Paterka all coming up. I don't think any of them, maybe Quinn potentially, but I think you'll be able to get those guys on pretty good deals. So moving off of that one, Number two, this is a fun one. This is an off the ice one that everybody's favorite restaurants, restaurant Hucklebuckets, asked us if money and political realities weren't an object, would you renovate the arena or would you knock it down and start from scratch? So I'll take this one first. I'm team knock it down and start from scratch. I think the arena itself is pretty old at this point. We're going on 30 years very soon with it. Uh, I I think we're what probably what year did that go up? 96. 96? Okay, I wasn't sure it was 95. So you're yeah, you're three seasons away from it being 30 years old. We already know about all of the, the renovations that desperately need to be done throughout Key Bank Center from the general concourse to the seats to the overall fan experience to concessions, what have you like there's just a lot that can be done and again if you're taking all of those other equations out of the mix i would just rather start from scratch knock it down build something completely new completely state-of-the-art to be in line with this fresh new young team that you have what do you got
1: well first thank you for the question novelty bucket restaurant uh i so my initial thought was why not just renovate it because you can do all the renovations you want because you have you know he says money is no object here uh I don't see why the structure of the building has to come down and I don't really look at thirty years old as that old. I mean I guess you could get ahead of the curve and try to, you know, cause in thirty years it will be old, then it'll be sixty. But I don't look at the structure as any problem. Like the location's great. It I mean the outside kind of looks weird, but that's something you could also change. And, but like inside, I really you, hundred percent need. You need so many renovations as a need level, but if you want it like at a at a want level to be like one of the cooler buildings in the NHL, there's so much you could do. But to me, they're not really limited by the space or the structure of the building at all in any way I can think of. I think that like the concourses are big enough. You have enough seats. The seats are even. You have enough boxes for what Buffalo is. Like all that's fine with me. You just need shit needs to be way better. Start. You mean the restaurants? Maybe we could get a, a a cool novelty restaurant in there, or maybe one of the other cool places we have here. Just food perhaps wise, it's a mess.
0: Perhaps one of the bucket variety.
1: Absolutely, that's what I was thinking. Um, Huckle Puckets? Whoa! Get me onto something here. Or Puckle buckets. Interesting. Much to consider, it's but I think you about. have like they they do try to do some cool stuff like the famous goals painted on the ground. I mean, but there's like not it just people just step right over that, so it's like. That's it, not really an exhibit. And I, I think John Vogel, when he was still at The Athletic, talked about how many interactive things new arenas have. So the, the thing I have is you have these super old portraits pl- scattered about the building, and it's like, oh, there's Drew Stafford. There's Nathan Paish. Like, why are these all here? Yeah. And I think what you could have is you could have older legends um, or younger guys or whatever current members – and have those things be more interactive. Like you press a button and, like, maybe something's like, oh, this, I uh, had, f- f- I don't know, 17 goals. It wouldn't be like a 19 Crimes wine bottle, but a voice like, uh, Rick Martin was the only Sabre to have back to back 50 goal seasons or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. And there's just, a, there's a bunch of ideas I think you could throw out there, people that have more ideas than me. But, you know, like you said, there's a lot to be done regardless.
0: Yeah. My whole thing is like, if money's not an option and we're just thinking about it from the perspective of like, okay, there is just a laundry list of things that need to be better. You're right that I don't think that there's like an issue as far as we know with like the structural integrity of the building or anything like that. And of course you can conceivably do all of these things that we're talking about here, but I don't know for the sake of it. I mean, if you had the opportunity to just completely start from scratch, like why not? I think I'm pretty sure Key bank Center, I think there's only like 10 or 11 arenas across the nhl that are older than that really Um, yeah a lot of them all came up in like the mid 90s right around there and the and if you took it a step further ones that were created like so key bank opened in the uh for the 1996 1997 season um there are some that were like 95 96 94 95 for ones though that are the like let's just call it like 1992 or prior i want to say there is only hold on i'm counting one
1: there's only one older than 1992 there's
0: two. there's two there's the scotia bank saddle dome for calgary and then
1: madison square garden okay and calgary is getting a new arena within two years yep everything okay. else though is that is like wild. The
0: like the next earliest or the next one after that i'm pretty is i want to say 93 94 is like the next oldest one, the third oldest one, I believe, is actually the Honda Center for Anaheim, ninety
1: three, ninety four. Jeez, I mean, that makes sense though. Like with expansion, especially like also San Tampa. Jose
0: is uh, San Jose is also ninety three,
1: ninety four. Yeah, like that era, San Jose, Tampa, Ottawa getting their arenas around the same time because Tampa, famously to me, played in where Tropicana is now for yep. multiple years. Uh, and then you know Vegas and Seattle are obviously new, and then there's teams like. I assume the wild don't play where the North stars used to play. I mean, they can't based on what you just said. Uh, and then you also have like Columbus is newer. Uh, Winnipeg, I yeah. think probably built it. They must've built a new place too. Wow. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, Winnipeg. Where are we here? Winnipeg. So how many
1: guys are there in the mid nineties?
0: How many like teams are there that, were, yeah. that came up? All right. So I'll just go through them all, honestly. So you have Tampa's 96, 97, uh, Montreal's is 95, 96, Nashville's 9899 um Ottawa's 9596 DC's 9798 uh St. Louis 9495 Florida 9899 Anaheim 9394 a uh, couple 99 2000s ones we're not going to count that uh Vancouver 9596 San Jose 9394 Toronto for the Scotiabank Arena that's 9899 uh TD Garden is 9596, the United Center is 9495 and then the Wells Fargo Center is 9697.
1: Okay, so we've said this before but I hadn't realized it from this perspective. The NHL was just a completely different league in 1990 and 2000. Like just became a whole different league in a whole decade that I don't know that any any other sports league has really done before because that is every arena is different. The They went from 21 to 30 teams, but I believe three teams also moved, which is to say 12 of the 30 teams Mm -hmm. in 2000 were not playing in that city 10 years prior. And then that's not even to mention scoring going down and the way the games played being totally different. That's wild. We should ask Doug Bodger about that if we have him on again at some point. We should. Just like, hey, man, how weird was that? (laughs) The whole league (laughs) was just, we played in every, everyone had a new building. Most of the places were new teams. Mm Mm-hmm. Like that's what that's forty percent of the league was a new team by two thousand. Crazy, less than a decade old.
0: How how weird is that? Absolutely nuts. Yeah, really interesting one to, to to think about further. We should ask Doug about that. We'll get him on. I feel like we always have him on like once a season. So we'll get him on again for the the start of the uh twenty three twenty four season. Let's move on though because we were on that one for a little bit. Our good pal TJ, aka Seti Riot, asks who slots in for Jack Quinn during his absence. Who do you got, Taylor?
1: Ooh, I got a big unfortunate because someone else replied and said, please not Ah, uh, Buddy, I'm going to guess based on their behavior that it actually is Olafson.
0: I disagree. Personally. You don't think
1: so? I
0: was thinking about it further, and I think what the likely scenario is going to be is that they're going to put Middlestat there first. I think they go Cousins, Middlestat, Paterka first. Try that because of how good Middlestat was down the stretch, and then you do a third line of Olafson, Krebs, and one of Savoy or Kulik.
1: Okay, so I think – yeah, that makes sense. I think what I mean with Olafson, that makes sense. Metal stat's better to go into that slot and probably will based on how he finished the year. I think the Olafson thing is uh to me, what he basically does this mean he's not gonna get traded? And I, I kinda think No, he he, ha- he has
0: to. I No, he,
1: he will oh. be, but now I think not in the off season.
0: You're probably right.
1: I mean at the it's- deadline it's still like totally easy to trade Olsen at the deadline and they mm-hmm. should do it in the off season, But I think this like what you just said there, putting stat on the second line, that means moving Olsen into the third line, whereas before if Quinn was healthy you'd have stat in the third line and you wouldn't have Olsen. Uh,
0: my thing with this too is what is preventing you from going out and just signing Tomas Tatar, and then moving Olafson now. You're upgrading at five-on-five play. You have more of a veteran presence there on the third line to play with two young guys. And you have somebody that's not going to just, like, disappear at stretches of the time throughout the season, but also, like, disappear on, like, one half of the
1: ice. Oh yeah, I mean, or the whole ice during even strength. True. What is the deal with Tatar? Because he's had a weird journey where he was benched for the Canadians pretty much their entire Stanley Cup run a couple years ago but then he came back and was a player again. So he's just a a free agent, no injuries or anything like that. Yep. Well, that's bizarre. All right.
0: How about we move on to our next one here? Let's go with a non-Sabers one, if that's cool.
1: Oh yeah. Well, let's do that. I think we forgot to answer Mr. Bucket's non-hockey question.
0: (sighs) I was hoping we would avoid this. You know what? No, let's talk about it. Mr. Bucket's asked, when is Canatus going to perform the shout song? And I will say this is because, we played in New York back in June, and our friend, Mr. Huckle Buckets, uh, Mr. Uh, unnamed first name, last name Huckle Buckets, came to the show. Great time. Very appreciative of him coming out. He lives in that greater area over there, and we were talking. And we got into a whole conversation about how one of – and he – I, God, I, one of my biggest pet peeves of being a Buffalonian is when people are, are at concerts and they start doing the shout song. It has happened so many times to
1: non-Buffalo bands, right?
0: To non-Buffalo bands, or even Buffalo bands, I do not care. You should not be doing it. Like, I guess if you want to do it at a Goo Goo Dolls concert or something, sure. Or like whatever. But like a touring band coming to Buffalo, they don't know what the shout song is. Ninety-five percent of the time, it makes us look. Small time, it makes us look stupid. And it's like, dude, you're there for a concert. Like, we are not at a Bills game. You should not do the shout song in any setting that is not directly correlated with the Bills. I saw the Growlers probably like four or five years ago at Babeville. And this these group of just the most dudest bros you have ever seen tried to start it. And like people were doing it, and it was in between songs while the Growlers were on stage. And then as soon as they did, I was like, no, no, like, do not. And they were on stage and they were confused. They were like, oh, okay, like, what the hell is this chant? It is just, it's so dumb. It's so cringy. I don't even like when people do it at Sabres games. I think it's ridiculous. Save it for the Bills. It is supposed to be something that is special to the Bills. It does and weddings. At a concert. As you could clearly tell, I get very worked up about this. Because it's so I go to a lot of concerts and it just, it is the cringiest shit. Anyways, ready for the next question now?
1: Yeah, I'm going to throw in that you can also do it at, at weddings. It's good. Okay, to do weddings, weddings is fine. That's fine.
0: But that's like a, there's like there could be a bills correlation then. You know, like oh
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Um, all right, let's do a non hockey one here. I think this is a fun one to switch it up. DJ Mitchell, who is I think the the president of the I think You Should Leave fan club, asks, "What is your favorite I Think You Should Leave sketches from each season? Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? You can go first all right i'm gonna go backwards the most recent season season three i think by far for me is the the summer of love dating spoof with a zip line that is (laughs) that is just i have watched that goddamn sketch probably about 15 times and hysterically laugh at it every single time and find like a new little thing that I just like get hooked into my brain for like a week at a time until I see it the next time around so that one I think is for sure for season three season two is a toss-up between your dad and I are old friends with Bob Odenkirk or Dan Flashes I mean those are two of the oh. most popular ones. I both absolute classics and then season one, I think, and I'm pretty sure this is like the actual like season one, episode one, first sketch is the Instagram captions with Vanessa Bayer, formerly of SNL. I mm, It's not. It's, the,
1: it third not? No,
0: it's the, the third th- sketch. No, it's the third sketch. But it is. It's, it's in the first episode.
1: It is. Yeah. Okay.
0: Gotcha. Uh, those are mine, though.
1: I, uh, I I easily could have picked any of those as well. Uh, but I somehow ended up with three fake commercials. Okay, I love that. Well, season, season one is the laser spine specialist commercial. <laughs> so that one is kind of wild because it starts out with like, it's, it's almost like a double sketch because it's like what comedians used to say is you shouldn't put a hat on a hat. And I guess Tim Robinson basically says, fuck you to so that because it starts as a fake commercial where it's like. All the things you can do with someone in your 50s who gets this spine surgery, like, oh, I can pick up my grandkids, or I can pick up my kids again, or I can can walk the dog, I can help out around the house, and then he's just, it's just an insane divorced dad who wants to fight his (laughs) ex-wife's new boyfriend, (laughs) and then it just ends with him going into a radio station. Some not radio station, but like a, a production studio of some kind, with a guy who's played by Conor O'Malley. They told him he was going to be a star, oh. and then he just it ends with him singing a nonsense song.
0: I love And you Connor forget O'Malley. you
1: forget it's supposed to be a commercial. <laughs> and at the end, they're like laser spine specialists, and you're like, oh yeah, that's what this was. <laughs> but that has like the most quotes. Definitely, it was the most quotable in 2019 when it came out. That's the one I definitely quoted the most. Season two, I got to go with Corn Cob TV. Yes, oh coffin flop. That's another one that starts out as one thing. She's like Corn Cob TV. What the hell's that? And then Coffin Flop starts, and <laughs> that's the kind of thing no one else in the world could have come up with.
0: Oh, I was thinking about Corn cop TV honestly for for my for season two, but I just, I I always just think about. I mean, like Bob Odenkirk is so good and it was just such a special surprise like seeing him oh yeah and that you just weren't expecting it at all and it just again it's it's the kind of thing where like with tim robinson's brain it's like only this dude can like think of taking this like one concept in the most wild direction yeah he goes more wild than that but like just that one is just
1: I love the the line where it's like he's trying to say cool things about himself, and he's like, (laughs) and I don't live in a hotel.
0: (laughs) He's like, he doesn't live in a hotel.
1: (laughs) That's so great. Um, Yeah, and then the third season is the one I've watched the most and thought of the most even in whatever two months it's been since it came out. It's the Darmine Doggy Door. Oh, my God. Uh, somehow neither of us said the fast food one, which is pretty crazy. But it was—I mean, everybody loves that one. It's too <laughs> obvious. Yeah. It is. It really. And the Darmani doggy door, I really like better. That's another idea only he could come up with. And it—it it features like one of my favorite things with him is like insane side characters. And even though this is a commercial and there's only one other guy in it, it's an instant classic. Just the weird old man in his window yelling like, you're a pig. And it's like, he tried to call me a liar and a thief like Nixon had a pig. Uh, just the creature design on the the thing he thought he saw. Horrific. The weird, weird side that he's he was sad because his wife got flipped by a swing dancer. In a wedding. <laughs> and then there's like his voice at the end. And he's just like, it's almost like a thesis statement on why I like Tim Robinson when he's like, he he does the end of the commercial. He says like the tagline, the dar that whatever, Darmine Doggy Door, happy pet, peace of mind, and then says something else weird, and then just says like in a weird defeated voice, like my life is never, nothing I thought it'd be and everything I'd feared it'd become because for 50 seconds, I thought there were monsters on the world. (laughs) And everything about that is like why I like Tim Robinson and why I like the show. So I hope we impress DJ with our choices, but I could have picked 10 other things, honestly. One
0: thing I wanted to like say too, I mean, I know it's one of the most popular sketches from this season, but for like the Summer Loving one, one of the things that I think I appreciate about the most and it makes me so mad about SNL is that SNL has done, parodies of like dating shows like this of like the bachelor or the bachelorette but it's always based on like just something of like somebody getting themselves into like ditzy hijinks or whatever whereas this is just like such an oddly specific thing yeah the way that they approach it with like the flashbacks and everything is just it's so good like i love the part where the dude where he's like and when or when uh the the bachelorette is like and when you were reprimanded and told to join the group for the group dinner, you immediately back and went on the zip line. It does the flashback. And the guy's like, so how do you think your connection with Megan's going good? And he just runs <laughs> <laughs> or like the subtlety of like, when it's the initial thing of him where they're like, I feel like you're just here for the zip line. And he's like, well, I, I I mean I like how it drops you in the pool and it does the flashback and it's like the first two are just him doing it normally going down and the third one he's does the spin off of it at the end. It's so good. Oh my god. Yeah, DJ, thank you for that question. That's a that's a great one there. All right, let's move on to our next one here. So Tan Man 3118. Hey, he's got three questions for us. One, what does Middle have to do to be locked in as a long-term fixture on the roster? Two, How much does Tuck cost on his next deal And three? Who has a winning season first, Arizona or Chicago? Taylor, you want to take this first?
1: Yeah, I'm looking, hold on, I'm looking for the question in my document real quick. But uh, I would say, what does Middlesex have to do to be locked in as a long term fixture? I think that's a tough question to answer for two reasons. One is that, as we'll get into later, there are a lot of guys who we see around for at least the medium term. And they're really just in general, there aren't that many NHL players. It's a very low percentage that are signed to deals longer than four years at any given point. And they're mostly stars or or weird like kind of depth pieces that for some reason mean a lot to their specific team. So I think it's hard to say what he has to do. If like he really wants to be a guy that you can't get rid of, he'd have to take like another leap like he couldn't just be as good as he was last year he'd have to be yep. like even better otherwise it just there's no real reason where you have to lock him in for like 8 years or something like that and i think it you know it still even though he was really good at the end of last year if you take last season in total it's a good season it's not an irreplaceable season and there are other younger guys that theoretically could replace him So that's basically what I think about that. Do you want to take the middle set one? Then we'll get to the other ones. Yeah,
0: definitely. I I think I'm, I'm with you that I think that there needs to be another step there. And this actually leads into a future question that we have that somebody had asked us about like projecting the lineup two years out. And there's a realistic chance that middle stat might get forced out regardless. Like if he doesn't take like a big step here, they may have their hand forced and having to, to move him because of what his value could be and what he could end up netting you in return. Um, because, again, like, say, in theory, we have the top two lines locked locked in for the long term. There is Krebs, Kulik, Savoy, and Benson right there that all realistically, I mean, Krebs will obviously be there, but, like, Kulik, Savoy, and Benson – at least Kulik and Savoy, you would think, will be ready for full-time duty in 24, 25. Benson maybe only needs one year in the WHL again with how good he was scoring last year and how just great he was altogether last year, that he may be ready to take the jump then. That doesn't even come into play with like Roseanne too as a possibility there. And even it, w- that completely eliminates the possibility of an external addition too to try and upgrade there. So for him to be locked in long term, I'm gonna have I'm gonna say like. 70 points of like a baseline but i think more importantly what they really need from him is that they need him to have a strong start to the season which he really didn't have last year and i think more than anything else what will lend to him having a strong start to the season is that from the gate from like game one of the season it's his biggest issue that he's had over his career his conditioning needs to be up to par his skating has been maybe the biggest thing that has held him back more than his size or his uh, his, his strength or anything like that his, his skating in terms of his, his conditioning and being able to keep up with the pace of play. He's not a burner. He's not a fast guy, but there's a noticeable difference with him when he is just looking like he is dying out there skating around and when he actually has a little bit of a burst to him and he has the stamina to be able to play three periods all the way through at the highest level of skating that he possibly can. But again, we will get to this in a little bit. I think it's more likely that he is not a part of the team going into 24, 25, than it is he is a part of the team. Next question. This is a kind of a tough one. How much does Tuck cost on his next deal? For me, this is tough because he's going to be 30 at the time of his deal being up. And this is just like pure speculation. I haven't looked at any, I, I don't even know if they would have the, the projections for him because he's still t- uh, two or three years out from it for like evolving wild for their projections. But if I had to guess, maybe because he's at like, he's, you know, can say he keeps at this pace of play, maybe they do like four years, 7 million. I mean, does that seem fair to you? Uh,
1: I was so, that's what I was kind of get, getting at there. I think it's going to be short-term, something like that would make sense. I think four years, 8 million, given the way the cap is going to go. Right. Probably. I think four years, 8 million would be good around then. But what if he's like, Shit, this is my last time getting paid. I want an eight-year deal. At that point, things could get harder. Um, but no, I think the do you best th- case th- scenario eight million seems like a really realistic AAV. It seems realistic and it
0: seems fair. And the only thing I'll say is that I think it's in 99% of the time it's unrealistic to for maybe like 95% of the time for guys to take quote unquote hometown discounts, but like I just have such a hard time thinking that this dude is going to would, would threaten to leave in free agency over a a million dollars or something like that a a year. Like it just, he feels like the kind of guy that would yeah, take a hometown discount, but he's not going to like take you to the cleaners.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think if it's a year, AV, whatever, but I think with like, if he really just wants a longer deal at that point, but who knows maybe at that point, it'll just be known that 30 year olds for the most part, don't get eight year deals. Yeah. So true. I, but I do think he's playing this way and the caps going up. There's no reason it couldn't be like an $8 million deal for sure. And again, if it's, if we're talking
0: like a shorter term, like a three, four year deal, I'm fine with that. Uh, last one, Taylor, who has a winning season first, Arizona or Chicago, Chicago, Bedard is the differentiator there in my mind. For sure.
1: I have two differentiators. What do you got? One, the Blackhawks have Bedard and two, the coyotes are the coyotes. So mm, that's fair. I don't know. When's the last time they had a winning season?
0: That's fair. They got, and I mean, they have good young pieces, but it's also like, you know, if things continue to go bad, like how much longer is Clayton Keller going to want to be around? I mean, they just moved Chekren. They, I, Nick Schmaltz, how long is he going to want to be around? And they have some good young pieces, but again, it just feels pretty bleak for the, for the Yotes. All right. I think this is another, oh no, this is only a one part question here. Our pal and former guest host, Denis asks, what are your expectations for Peyton Krebs this coming season? Show he can be a force. He's shown he can be a four C with grit and responsibility, but what are you looking for from the offensive side of his game this season? 40 points. So I'm looking for him to take the next jump in his game offensively and be a legit two way three C with offensive upside. I think the key piece to that, we've been talking about this all throughout last year, he needs to have offensive talent around him. He needs to have somebody with a finishing touch around him. He's a a great skater. He's a solid playmaker. He has really good vision. He's a good passer. We talked at length this year about how good his two-way game has been. And especially one of the, the very specific traits of his that I really like a lot is how good he is at making difficult passes with a guy on him. Like, especially when he is like, either like behind the net along the wall, winning a puck battle or coming down through the um, coming down, like going through the neutral zone entering into the zone. And he's got a guy on him and being able to find those seams and lanes. He's, he's very, very, very talented at that remnant of Sam Reinhardt. I think in a lot of ways for a lot of those passes that Sam used to make, where it's like, how do you find that hole there? So I would love for him to get the opportunity to play with somebody who has a legitimate scoring touch, this coming season, whether that's Kulik, whether that's middle stat if he gets time, whether when Quinn comes back, he gets some time with Quinn potentially. Like they they just need to put him in a situation in situations to succeed with other offensive minded players around him. Because again, you now have the luxury of this very talented and skilled guy having a well-rounded two-way game and a very very solid defensive game so now let's try to engage and and get going the the offensive side of his game as well so I think 40 points is absolutely a a fair marker to to think of as like at least from like a point perspective um a good step for Krebs what do you think Taylor
1: I think who do you think starts the season as a 4c Jost man that does make sense actually yeah if Krebs starts as 3c he's probably not really going to get power play time but I think Forty points is a good goal that he probably wouldn't hit, but in the mid thirties would be good. But I think to your point, it's more like you want to see consistency in his offensive game, make continue to make use out of his his uh, tremendous passing skills, and uh, and also you know continue to get better in his own zone because he's been a good physical guy, but there's still room for growth on that end. And Jesus, the good Lord knows the Sabers need more guys who are good in their own zone. True. The uh, knee did ask a second question. Did he? Yes. It was tweeted at me, I believe, last night. He says, what do you think about Joe Lewis being charged? Dot, dot, dot. Never mind. But I'm going to answer this. Uh, Joe Lewis, Tottenham Hotspur owner, charged with insider trading. Uh, I hope he gets executed. <laughs> Throw the book at him, folks. Nice. And I think the only right thing to it's do. It's like a good
0: measured take, Taylor.
1: Uh, <laughs> And a serious note, The only, <laughs> the only reasonable thing to do. Uh, even though he's being charged in the United States, is for his soccer team to be taken away and uh, sold to another interest. Brendan, your thoughts?
0: Agreed. Everything he said, agreed. Go Spurs. (laughs)
1: Let's go.
0: Love Greg Popovich. All right, on to the next one. Tim Drake asks, can you see Savoy getting a nine game look to start the season? And if he plays well, would he be a, re- a good replacement until Jack Quinn is healthy? Taylor, you want to take this one first?
1: Yeah, I I think we haven't seen the Sabres make use of the nine game thing recently. Have they done it since Reinhardt? I don't know if they have, uh, but it's not, it's not a bad, especially in the situation they're in where you have Quinn out for that time. Anyway, see how he looks. And if he looks good, Could he be a replacement until Quinn's healthy? Yeah, maybe, because in all likelihood, like always, when Quinn comes back, it'll be halfway through the season. And at that point, you're generally dealing with uh, at least one guy being injured, usually more than one. So in that situation, it it might be nice to have him around. The thing that I think, two things that might hold the Sabres back from doing more than a nine-game tryout would be, one, they might not want to go into a year where they want to make the playoffs with him and Kulik, if Kulik's on the team, and, you know, as many young guys as they have that's still, you know, Krabs, Paterka, guys like that. So maybe they don't 100% want to do that. Uh, and then the other thing is just planning-wise, like, okay, he does that, and then Quinn comes back, and then what? Send him back down to the W after he's played half an NHL season? So I think that would be a difficult thing to do, but it's still it's worth considering. It's something they should definitely be thinking about.
0: Yeah, I think there's a difference between a very fine line between the nine-game look and then keeping him around after the fact. I definitely can see it personally. I think that Kulik is probably more NHL-ready right now, but I will say that there's an unlikely but small chance that maybe both are there at the start of the season, potentially. But it's a weird thing because Savoy, I think it's fair to say, is too good for the whl right now and would be better served to be able to play in rochester this season uh to a lesser extent the nhl as well um especially with how good he was down the stretch and into the playoffs for for winnipeg however that's also not to say that it would necessarily be a bad thing for him to go back and get one more year just historically speaking guys have done that and it hasn't done any harm to their development or anything like that um so if he goes back for another year, him and Benson dominate and they're able to develop more chemistry together, it's not the worst thing in the world. But I do have a feeling that they may give him a nine-game look before they end up making the move because they don't have that same flexibility or they they have more flexibility with some of the other guys. But I think a lot of this also is going to depend on how everybody looks at camp too. So should be interesting to That's see. That's the other thing, Yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on to the next one here. So this is a fun one, and this kind of led to the, the <coughs> that point that we were making earlier. At AJ77 Dewey asks, build out your most realistic roster projections for next year with contracts and all. Can project out two years too. So quickly, I can go through this year. I'll I'll say Skinner Thompson-Tuck. When, when he's I mean, if we're talking opening night, we could go Paterka-Cousins. Middle stat, third line would be Olofsson, Krebs, Greenway, fourth line, Gergensen's, Jost, Apozo, extra skater. I will go with either Lucas Rusek or maybe Brett Murray, potentially um, on defense. Samuelson, Darlene, Power, Clifton. And then. Uh, oh, boy, this I mean. It's going to be a mix of the three of Eric Johnson, Lebushkin, and uh, and Stillman. Uh, so I'll say Lebushkin is the odd man out in the third pair is Clifton or is uh, is Stillman and Johnson, and then your goalies Levi and UPL. Unfortunately, two years out though is I think where it can get a little bit interesting, and maybe this is wishful thinking here. I don't know, but I think your your top six is going to stay intact. You are going to go Skinner, Thompson, Tuck, Paterka, Cousins, Quinn. Third line. Again, maybe wishful, but think about how fun this would be. Kulik and Benson centered by Savoy. And then your fourth line. Wow. Your fourth line, Jost, Peyton Krebs in the middle, and on right wing, Tyson Kozak. Wow. Oh, yeah, interesting. I mean... Look, we're talking – you, you got to have a defensive-minded guys who can at least chip in a little bit both ways there, and I think Kozak gives you a good two-way presence on that line, and being able to put him with Jost and Krebs, I think that could be a, a nice, like, lockdown line that has some real skill there. Then your defensive pairing, Samuelson-Darlene for the first one, power and guy that you would trade, Middlestad, Oslin, Rosean, any combination or whatever of those guys putting them together. I think that that's a very likely thing package a future first round pick and go out and get a big, big fish to put there because again, you could do the same thing and getting a guy for the, for your top nine there. But I mean, that's a really, really promising top nine. And then you also, that needs you for the third line. Like with, if you were to roll out a Kulik Savoy Benson third line, I mean, you're only at that point a couple years away from Skinner. Um, his deal being up who knows if he ends up staying around if he does it's going to be for a much lesser cap hit but maybe he ends up walking potentially if the sabers let him walk because of the depth that they have then you can move a guy like benson or savoy or kulik moving them up to uh that first line spot on the left wing so i think again that pretty much kind of means that Middlestat would be the odd man out there because kulik i think it's 100% he is in the NHL in 2024, 2025. Savoy, I would say it's like 75%. And Benson is the one where you have the most question marks there, just in terms of if he's going to need another year of seasoning or not. I don't necessarily think that he will need it, but the Sabres have shown that they're not afraid to keep their guys in the WHL if they need to for an additional year. And then your last pairing um, for two years out from now, I think you have on the right, Connor Clifton, and on the left, Ryan Johnson. And then in goal... It it pains my heart to say this, but I think it'll still be Levi UPL with the way that things are going right now.
1: I mean, if if it is, that means things have gone well for UPL this year. Yeah, exactly. I, so my way of thinking of it, basically the, the thing I ended up uh, thinking in the most interesting way, the only thing I came up with that was interesting, I guess I should say, is that in 11 months from now, Yoki Haru, Bryson, Eric Johnson, Labushkin, and Stillman might all just be gone. Yep. Good chance they all are. And you're left with Darlene Samuelson, Power, and Clifton, and you're either putting someone on a second pairing with Power, that's what I would prefer, and I think you would too, and then having someone else play with Clifton, an Eric Johnson type, but you know, the year after that would be that that's kind of what i think about i think that's the work that adams is going to have to do after this coming season is going to be about the defense because like you said the forwards there's just so much there that it's almost like your your task is like what do i do with all these guys and then goaltending i don't know man i i don't i'm still really in denial about the upl levi thing happening i mean it's gonna happen for part of this year but you can't do this yeah
0: what are they doing to us (laughs) what have they done to us Call what them. is this world? What is this
1: world? <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty much it. I didn't have too much. Cause I think uh, an interesting thing to think about sometimes is like, w- no matter what kind of team you have in like four years, most of the guys are usually gone pretty much always. I mean, think of the Sabres four years ago and four years before that, four years before that, and even good teams in sports, like any sport, it just, there's just crazy turnover. So I think it's a nice thing that the Sabres will have a, a limited amount of that compared to the rest of the NHL.
0: I think what's also really interesting about this too, as I mentioned before, I feel like the natural thing here is after this year, next offseason, season, say middle has another solid year looking at what his value may be. If you were to do middle stat Rosean and a first, and you go out and get a big fish, like I said, on D or something like that. The other side of that coin though, is UFA's next year. Pesci is going to be a UFA and they still haven't moved him from Carolina. If Carolina doesn't end up getting Carlson, do they just keep him around for one more year as like an in-house rental, whatever the hell that concept is that people believe in? Noah Hannafin is also going to be a UFA next year. There's other guys that are out there. And so like, then you're looking at a scenario where it's like, okay, if we can go get a guy that we want, that we think fills this role through free agency, you just have these other assets right now. And it's like, okay, do you look to then try and like really upgrade over a guy? Like, for example, I I think that again, I'm not saying that they should do this or anything like that, but what if they feel very strongly that they can go out and get like a real stud guy. And part of that entails giving up like a bigger piece, a proven piece, like a Paterka, for example, if you were to do Paterka middle stat and like, a piece and a first and you're able to go out and get like a bona fide star winger or something like that. Another thing to consider, I guess, for the roster shuffling and whatnot, I, I just, they're in a really, really good spot with that. But the fact of the matter remains, they are going to need to take a big swing sooner or later. They have to do it. I wish they would do it right now with goaltending or that they would have done it with defense. Honestly, Johnson and Clifton are fine signings, but like, I think he still could have gone bigger. You have the pieces to go bigger right now. And I i just, it, it just, wor- not worries me. It's a good problem to have, I guess, like the premise of it, but it worries me that they aren't doing it right now and they totally can.
1: Yeah.
0: Anyways, let's move on. All right. At Make Mike Shut Up asks... Why are so many people against the idea of Levi playing in Rochester for a season? We've seen so many goalies get rushed and start good, but end up being a flash in the pan. And why is Adam so reluctant to address this weakness? He's been great everywhere else. Would you like to go first?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I think the reason people are skeptical about it, I think is two things. First of all, he looked the part when he had his seven game sample up this past year Two is I don't think that many people are aware of how rare it is these days for a guy under 24 to play a full season, especially a guy that's three years under 24. But also I, the, the biggest reason is because their goaltending has sucked for a while and there's no real reason to think that Conrad and UPL just won't suck again if they're up. That includes uh, going back though. I mean, Anderson was fine, I guess, but, you know, Dustin Tokarski and Carter Hutton and Allmark was fine when he was here, but i always hurt. And Robin Leonard was back and forth now it's like almost a decade of like you haven't had a goal you can rely on so people see that and see how good he was in college and just think like well why would we waste a year in Rochester I get that I guess and the other part of that is why is Adams reluctant to address this weakness oh I am I can take this because I just did a whole thing about this on the last episode on Monday because goaltending sucks right now is one of the big things <laughs> so I I look. I'm not giving Adams a pass. You have to do something, in my opinion. You have, or you have to give a a better, more visible appearance of trying to do something. But goaltending is way worse than it was even like seven years ago. There's just not not nearly as many as I said on Monday. Mid tier guys, and because of that, the guys that should be lower mid tier get paid and played like they're upper mid tier. And then there just ends up being a lot of guys who it's like, I guess he could be okay. But the guys you want to rely on are like, man, Semyon Varlamov, who I believe got re-signed. Yeah, he's 37 years old too, and he hasn't been a starter in forever. Uh, And I mean even other guys, like could the Sabre sign Tomas Rice? It turns out both that he's retired and has Nazi sympathies, but like – that would have been crazy if they were just like our starting goalie and year where we want to make the playoffs is Grice. But shit, look at the playoffs last year, guys. It was ugly. And not even talking about Aiden Hill winning the cup, because I think that's a unique circumstance. Look at Seattle making the game seven of the second round with their goaltending. Mm-hmm. Look at all the teams in the like in the Eastern Conference that were in the second round. I mean, Frederick Anderson was like one of the more uh, probably the best regular season. Out of all those guys, but Varejaski had a bad regular season, ended up being okay. But I, it, it's insane. Toronto's goalies are terrible. Veselov gets there with LA gets
0: there with Phoenix Copley and Corpisalo.
1: Yeah, look at look how good New Jersey was last year. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. Look, Edmonton they had, had Akira a legit, Schmid. Akira yeah, Schmidt playing games. Akira Schmidt. Uh, it's crazy, like it, it felt like, uh, at certain points, Edmonton was like one of the more stable goaltending situations because they had Stuart Skinner, psych, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's crazy. But do you d- do you agree on my uh Levi point? Yeah,
0: I do. I mean, I don't know if Rochester is necessary, but I will say that it was probably as recent as like April, people could go back that I was saying that I wouldn't be opposed to him being in Rochester next year for the sole fact that I would much rather him stumble or find his footing or whatever in Rochester, then run the risk of doing that when he is your 1A because that would be catastrophic. It it would like that is if they're of all of the things that could go wrong this year and end up absolutely biting the sabers in the ass, it is that because that hurts them on a number of levels. <clears throat> For one, obviously Levi's long term development needs to be like at the forefront here. Two, we've been saying of all the pressure that there is for them to make the playoffs this year, and again, if he stumbles, which is a very real possibility, I know he's amazing and and all of the hype and everything like that, and I'm with you in the long-term sense that he is going to be great. I truly, truly believe that. But there is a very real likelihood that he could stumble, and you want to turn the reins over to UPL in a year where you need to make the playoffs? and not even need i think that the other side of this too in light of the news that we didn't even talk about patrice bergeron retiring great career one of the best two-way forwards of all time Mm, mark bannon doesn't think so i know don't even start (laughs) the atlantic is wide open it's when boston has so many question marks especially down the middle at center toronto we know that they're just like a, the embodiment of like a head case of a hockey team right there. And you have a bunch of their key guys are going to be free agents. And after this year, Austin Matthews may not resign. What if he walks? They're fucked. I, I mean, Florida, there's question marks about their goaltending there and some of their depth pieces as well. And also their ability to stay healthy too. Um, I mean, Detroit, obviously, like who knows with them? Like, so many question marks, goaltending, depth the their approaches to these off seasons the last two years ottawa obviously i mean you know good young core there but again a lot of question marks real question marks in goal too. like corpy going there now like we'll see how that goes for them but like major questions there uh montreal don't really give a shit uh who am i and then tampa bay aging they're still gonna be good but like you had the ability to go win the division this year and you're doing it by banking on something that pretty much virtually never happens, and like you said, goalies of Devin Levi's age, and with even more than the age thing, the professional experience, the lack thereof of professional experience, banking on that in a year where you could literally assert yourself as like the team in the Atlantic Division, I just think is so short-sighted and it's in a year where, again, you have the ability to take the reins of the division. You can take this huge step to be able to put that on the shoulders of a guy who has as little experience as Levi has. And there's a couple other questions about this too. That So we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more, but I'm like, I'm buying into the hype. I'm excited about this year. I think they're going to be exciting. I think they're going to do it. I think they have a real chance of like very realistically breaking this drought, but there is a looming fear that I have a very, very deep fear that if something goes wrong with Levi, that this year is going to be an absolute tire fire. They were able to like outscore a lot of their problems last year. They they scored in in general had such a, a strong offensive game last year with very subpar goaltending. I I want to believe that obviously Levi is going to be able to like be above that. I don't think he's going to be as good as he was in that you know, seven game stretch that he had at the end there. But even if he's serviceable, that's great then. But again, you're just, you're banking on so much with the lack of experience, the the travel that's involved with that, UPL being your number two, how many games Levi's going to end up having to play there. It, there's just a lot of stuff that really, really scares me about them taking this approach. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but what do you got? Do you have something to add there?
1: Do we uh, want to hear a word from our sponsors? Yeah, let's do it. Folks, This episode of Straight Up Sabers is brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook app. New customers can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? call 1-800-GAMBLER. Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER at wwwone gamblernet all games are uh, regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino at Charlestown Races in Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777. Visit ccpg.org. 21 and over in most eligible states, but age will vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus leg requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. And folks, this podcast is also brought to you by Thin Man Brewery, the premier brewery of Western New York. Their location on Chandler Street in Black Rock in Buffalo, fantastic location. If you haven't been out there, lots of space, sometimes live music, sometimes from Brendan's bands, various bands. Uh, Tapo Pizza, you can have many events on the second floor, such as weddings, which I've been to. But most importantly is the beer. They have a ton of variety. You have all your Thin Man staples there, such as Minky Boodle, Pills Mafia, Trial by Wombat, Super Freak. All the main things you can get there. But you also have the specialty deals as well. So you have a, a variety of beers from you know, whatever is popping up that week. Many of the times we'll point that out on this podcast. That could be a new beer or maybe a limited run or maybe just a, a special for a holiday or fundraiser or whatever. Any of that is available. You can also pick up four packs there. And you know where else you can pick up four packs? Grocery stores throughout western New York and maybe even the entire United States. Probably not the entire United States, but some you know some locations in the United States that are not in Western New York. So, folks, Thin Man Brewery, the official brewery of Straight Up Sabers. Check them out, Brendan.
0: Yeah, baby, nothing to add. You you covered it so beautifully. You're you're gonna bring Yvonne on to tears with that ad read. That was <laughs> just gorgeous.
1: Yeah, great stuff. Thanks. Anyway, like I said, Thin Man Brewery. Go there this weekend, and you know what? You never had uh, one of the Sours at Thin Man? Mickey Boodle's the famous one, but like any of them, check them out. They do a great job with those, and I like them a lot. Anyway, Thin Man Brewery.
0: All right. Now that we are back, Taylor, our next question comes from Robert Murata, who asks, what D-Men prospects realistically can make the Sabres roster, even if it's one to three years down the line? So I'll start here since I'm our resident prospect person on Straight Up Sabres. Ryan Johnson and Nikita Novikov are the two I'm the most confident in. I think, like I said before, in my projection from two years out, I think that it's very realistic that Johnson is your third pairing left defenseman for the 24, 25 season. Novikov is uh, is a couple years out. He's coming over this year. And so it's going to be great to get to see him in Rochester and see how his style of play um, and just, you know, from coming over from Russia and now playing in the AHL is going to translate the next year down, I would say probably is Matt Lindgren. If he could put more of his game together and have a more well-rounded game, he definitely has to, to put some muscle on too. Uh, Maxime Sturback, I think, is another one that's up there since they just use a second round pick on him. And then guys who are uh, in the, in the neighborhood, in the conversation, but maybe a little bit farther off Gavin McCarthy, who was their third round pick this year. I think that's a, a possibility, um, with some NHL potential. And then Komarov is the other one too. So I would say those are the, those are the, the five names that I would say, uh, in order, I guess, in terms of like likelihood of, of being able to, to crack the NHL roster at some point. Any thoughts? But it
1: does feel like besides Ryan Johnson, no one would do it before like 2025, right?
0: Yeah yeah
1: so it's uh that demon maybe
0: if if novikov kills it and his game translates really well to the north american game maybe we see him 24 25 but again you have clifton still signed through that season as well so you probably don't even need to really worry about rushing him or anything like that during it like people really i think we're blowing it out of proportion a little bit like where the Sabres were at with their deep prospect depth. I mean, yeah, it wasn't great, but at the same time, as we talked about, when you have the three lead pieces locked up long-term and Dalene power and Samuelson, you, you kind of have the flexibility to not have to have a super deep defensive pipeline. It's good to have, but you just, you have the flexibility of being able to go out for like your third pair and just being able to get replacement level guys. Um, so once they're able to solidify who that, you know, fourth defenseman is to play with power they're in great shape. So I'm not too worried about that there. Let's move on to the next one here, Taylor. At Nick Likes Sports has this next question. And it's very same as a, another one of our fellow followers uh, at SnozGuru, which is Sabres are about even money
1: to make the playoffs. What side are you on? Shout out to Nick Geary. Good question. Uh, and also, SnozGuru, at the moment, I'm going to say yes, eight seed which isn't a real thing anymore, but you know, second wild card, I guess is the way to put that is how I feel right now. I would have felt way better if they had done something in net and done something better than Connor Clifton defensively. Like I like Connor Clifton, but Connor Clifton and someone who's not (laughs) however old Eric Johnson is. Eric Johnson from like five or six years ago would be sweet. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be, yeah. Yeah. That would have been cool. Uh, unfortunately he was busy, but, And so were we with a a very interesting GM who got all kinds of hijinks. But to answer your question, Snaz Guru and Nick I think, yes, that's the way I lean right now is the Sabres are a borderline playoff team. And they just have a lot of talent. I would bet on talent in this scenario and have a little bit of faith in Levi, considering how good he is in his pedigree, that even though I don't think he'll be like an all-star level guy next year that he can at least hold his own and a goalie who can hold their own. And if UPL can also do that to some extent, maybe have like a 900 save percentage, they should be in really good shape. They're somewhat healthy. I know they already lost Quinn, but they can do that. And maybe there are still moves to be made, but at the moment, it's just, it feels like Tampa is getting worse. Toronto is about the same. Boston is worse, but they started like 40 points ahead of the savers, more than 40. Uh, Florida, kind of treading water and you shouldn't really trust their goaltending either and then the other side you know the islanders how much do you trust them outside of their goaltending not a whole lot so there's a lot of guys or a lot of teams right around that the sabers should be better than and uh, i'm not really worried about ottawa i think ottawa might even be worse or at least they're not better mm-hmm. detroit no. should be better i guess i mean they have to bring it now but who knows With that
0: we will see. We will see. Do we want to do one more Taylor and then we'll wrap up part one of our mailbag?
1: Yeah. The All last right, everybody?
0: Do? So the last one we're going to do, and again, everybody, this is part one of a, a two part episode here. So we're going to be releasing part one. Of course, today as you're listening to it on Thursday, part two is going to be dropping on Monday for Monday's episode. So we still have a bunch more questions to get to. So make sure you're sticking around and tuning in. If we didn't answer your question on this episode we 100 will have it answered on monday's episode so for our last one i think this is appropriate since we were just talking about levi before anthony aka cattle dog dad asks we all know levi is a jedi do you think he uses one lightsaber a duel or a lightsaber that can be split into two lightsabers real question sabers have done little so far why do i feel disappointed but not surprised the moves they made wasn't expecting a big splash I can see K.A. saying, well, UPL was player of the month last season, but just feel like we are just settling. I respect the fact I don't know any attempts that they have made. The goalie situation has me worried. I'll go first. I'm going to go single green lightsaber for Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, for the first part of that question. Secondly, I, can I ask what is the difference between a duel and a lance? Like the one that Dahl? Uh, I don't know what the Lance one. well Darth Maul is the one that's like the dual one that yeah yeah I I think the Lance the Lance ones are the ones there's lightsabers that they can either be like connected like that or you have or they're like disconnected but it's essentially like two lightsabers that you use at the same time like one in each hand like Ahsoka uses two lightsabers for example
1: Do you know, like, sometimes we look at very obvious things in the past in sports and we're like, how do they never think of that? Like Mm -hmm. the forward pass or something like that, or like how wide receivers or football players in general didn't used to do strenuous workouts in the offseason until Jerry Rice, like brought that in or, or even better example before Don Hudson for the Packers was a receiver Receivers didn't used to run set routes. They would just kind of do the backyard football stuff. And you're Mm -hmm. like, how did they not have that? Do you think that the Jedi, like after that were like, damn. I guess they weren't, but they should have been like, you can just have a lightsaber that comes out of both ends.
0: <laughs> I mean, there's like, benefits us do that.
1: Also, I'm double
0: checking right now too, because I wasn't sure. So I knew it as a, it's a Pike, but a lightsaber Lance, it's it's either a Pike or a Lance. And essentially what it is, I'm pretty sure it's like what the um, temple guards use. So it's like a spear, like a, a lightsaber spear more than just like a straight up regular lightsaber. Mm or like the um, the Emperor's Guards and stuff like that, they would have that. But anyway, so the other part of the question, the, the real part, like the Saber's part of the question, I think it's very fair to be disappointed. And I would go as far to say that fans have every right to be disappointed. That's not to say that you know, this off season was some colossal disaster, but I'm disappointed in the fact that it feels like the Atlantic is really open and the Sabres could have went out and made a big move to really further their chances for not only breaking the drought, but again, establishing themselves as one of the teams to beat in the Atlantic. And I just feel like they didn't do that. And they have the capability of doing that. You cannot hang on to all of these pieces forever.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it's, it's always important to keep in mind that you should be disappointed or pleasantly surprised or whatever with the actual product on the ice above all else. But as we're, you know, we're all educated sports fans here. So we know how important what happens in the off season is. And a lot of times it's pretty predictable what's going to happen based on what you do in the off season Mm -hmm. and what kind of team you go into the season with. So, yeah, I think it's fair for us all to be disappointed a little bit.
0: All right, Taylor, do you
1: have anything else you'd like to add before
0: we wrap up this part one of our two part mailbag episode?
1: I don't think Levi should go around saying Qui-Gon Jinn is his favorite. Qui-Gon Jinn got killed like super easily. And uh, I think he should have. I like guys who don't get killed by Darth Maul.
0: Listen, it it wasn't super easily. And I would say in terms of general approach to being a Jedi, Qui-Gon is like top three Jedi of all time in terms of not being a complete idiot.
1: That's fair. Come on. I think he should be the giant head guy. The giant head guy? what? The guy whose head looks like an ice cream cone. Like a gigantic head. You know what I'm talking about? Which will, I, I don't know if I do. Yeah, like I'm about the Grand Inquisitor? Maybe, I don't know. The guy who's, he's like, he has like paste
0: white skin and it has like the red and like kind of like lines going down his leg.
1: Uh, I don't think so. He's in like the the uh, prequel trilogy. Oh! Oh, 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 Key, uh, Key Amundi? Yeah, maybe.
0: Kiadi Mundi, I'm pretty sure you're talking about. Wait, wait, wait. Let me double check here. Make sure somebody's about to take. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's him. I know what you're talking about. If you look that up, Taylor, that's or I'll send you a picture of him. But this is yeah, it's definitely him. Okay, well, thank you for that. This has been a lovely part one to our mailbag. Everybody, make sure you are. Staying tuned again for Monday's episode for part two. This episode, of Straight Up, uh, this episode of Straight Up Sabers is brought to you by our wonderful two sponsors. That would be the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using. Make sure you're checking out all of our fellow... fellow Fellow shows, and make sure you're checking out both the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo on social media—Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Where you can also find us Straight Up Savers. And before you close out of the app, whatever you're listening to right now, to listen to Straight Up Savers, please do us a solid—leave us a little rating or a review. We would very, very much appreciate it. Last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsors, both DraftKings Sportsbook, where you can use your promo code THPN to take advantage of great deals, and Thin Man Brewery. Make sure you're stopping into Thin Man Chandler for a bite to eat, for some drinks, whatever it may be. Thin Man Chandler is the place to be. Again, everybody, we'll be back with part two of our mailbag episode on Monday. Thank you all so much for tuning in. This is Ben, Straight Up Savers.